and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. And I'm joined today by Professor Nancy Fontaine. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's a bit of, it's an absolute pleasure, Laura. And I'm going to start right at the beginning before we talk about your career and, and, you know, and your journey through nursing. Why did you, were you always interested in nursing? Was it always a professional? Oh, really? Didn't ever want to be a nurse. So there we are. Let's put that right out there. I wanted to be, <laughs> well, when I was at school, I wanted to be a, a marine biologist. Realised very early on, with the help of my parents, there weren't very many jobs. Mm. And also, I am a, I'm a free spirit, naturally. And that will come in, I'm sure, when you ask me further questions about leadership. Um, and always travelled with my parents, but also loved to travel. Um, and I thought that, you see, I think in my head when I was that age, marine biology presented, you know, mm, cruising around coral atolls somewhere in the Pacific. And I thought how exciting that would be. But actually, I have a love of feet. A crazy lady loves feet. And I want to be a chiropodist. And uh, um, had a place at the London School of Chiropody and that that's what I was going to do but I'm also I love bioscience and I so I really wanted to do physiology and in fact I have taught physiology so actually my first degree is in physiology and pathophysiology and that was what I wanted to do nursing was way way came in much later because I then finished my degree and went off traveling in Europe and came back and my mother said so you'll be starting chiropody and there are lots of health professionals in my family um, and my mother was a nurse left nursing to go into social care and uh, I said well actually no mum I've got a, an interview tomorrow at Bart's at Bart's Hospital in London um, for those of you that know, it is now 900 years old. Um, yes. And she said, what do you want to do that for? I said, well, I'm going to do nursing. And, she said, and, and obviously I have a degree already. She said, well, what do you want to do that for? And I said, well, you know, I could travel. And it does, you know, I think I can go and work abroad. And, and so <clears throat> she then told me, this is right, this is really important. You won't succeed. You will last really? six months. You are anti establishment you are anti-authority you are self-opinionated uh you always believe you're right you stand up for the rights of those who haven't got a voice and they're not going to like it the establishment will not like it i give you six months don't do it there you go and that was my own mother a nurse wow the day before the interview <laughs> not quite um, the pep talk that maybe you'd um you'd imagined i obviously got got in to Bart mm. and people in my family were like oh no Nancy this is not the career for you there was one person in my family my aunt who at the at then was well she's my godmother my was a director of nurse education um when such things really did were there and she said no I think I think you're going to be all right she said I've got a good feeling about this interesting since then, <laughs> since then Having worked abroad, I have worked with the Royal Flying Doctors and Aboriginal Reserves. I have um, worked as uh, one of the first consultant nurses in the country for emergency and urgent care, was one of the uh, 1997 Blair's Manifesto, get 20,000 nurses back in. 
Um, and so 1999, I was the second emergency and urgent care consultant nurse in the country by two weeks. Wow. My mate Rob got in before me in Southampton. Um, I have a critical care and emergency and urgent care background. I was a consultant nurse in two organisations and uh, completed. I'd already completed a master's in um, pathophysiology and neurolinguistics. And then I went on to do a PhD. And uh, I have, which I did in humour, the use of humour as a coping mechanism. And many years later, many years later, I have now completed three chief nurse posts and a deputy chief exec post. So I think you've done okay. <laughs> I didn't want to be a nurse, but we laugh a lot. Now there is another bit to this, which might come out a bit later. So I'll save that one for another question perhaps and it might be that lots of people listening have family members that also say you know nursing's not for you or they might not agree with the profession or it might be because they work in healthcare themselves or they don't you know I guess opposite end of the spectrum did what your mum say give you any like niggly doubts or were you quite sure that that you knew that it was going to be the right path for you I was absolutely sure you're absolutely sure I knew I was right Mm. <laughs> my mum is self-opinionated as well she's a, an amazing lady and um, was ahead of her time I believe we all say that about our mums don't we mm. one of the most inspirational women I, I know really um but I knew I, I knew it was the right thing to do and uh I just knew that I was going to enjoy it and do you know what many people say oh I like this placement I like that place. I didn't like that one I loved every minute of my entire uh, student nurse time and I specifically chose Bart's because I all was almost certain I wanted to be a mental health nurse uh, at the time Bart's went out to the Maudsley and I would have done my second in uh, nine or ten weeks out at the, the Maudsley in South London I loved mental health nursing and I was absolutely convinced that's what I was going to be but you see, I wasn't ever the mental health nurse because the critical care course came up first. But I do I a lot with mental health patients and mental health nursing and competencies. So there you go. So you got the best of both worlds. Yeah. And, did, and did during your placements and in your early career, did you know quite early on that critical care was an area that you were interested in? No, no, no. I, I loved, uh, for those of you listening, I enjoyed every single placement. And I used to come through the placement going, I could do that. I loved stoma nursing. I loved it. I worked in an acute surgical ward where they were raising ileostomies and colostomies. I found it fascinating. I remember I had a background in bioscience. I could see anatomy and physiologically how it all worked, what was happening. I could see how the nutrition was so important. And I remember being really blessed very early on with quite exceptional clinical nursing staff. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a programme, though, which is unusual. It was we, as people who had A-levels and degrees, we came in from nursing, dental and medical students. We did the first year together. So we did. Oh, wow. So really unusual. Yeah. Now, years later, there were things like in-step programs where they came together. And they, some of them, some universities did that with social care as well. So this is sort of when they were really tinkering with the curriculum. And um, I have to say it was amazing. I mean, so we got to, to do dissection of cadavers and we got some fantastic lecturers. Um, but I have to say, when I think about it, and some people say, well, that would have been old school, Nancy. Yes, it was old school at, at Bart's. But do you know what? It's some of the best clinical grounding. I remember doing renal nursing in my 
oh I would say my first year it was either the first year or just going to my second year and uh on Ray Hill Ward at Barts for any of you who've ever worked at Barts and I was convinced I was going to be a renal nurse I absolutely loved doing um CAPD and exchanges and peritonitis looking after patients with peritonitis so I was literally going from placement to placement. Go, oh, I love that. Yes. You know, got got to um, I think the only the only ward I probably could have taken or left if I have to be entirely blunt um, was probably neuroscience. Now, what's really interesting, I love teaching the brain mm-hmm. and I love the pathophysiology of the brain. I, I didn't dislike it. I just thought there were other things I wanted to do. So I just relished every moment every moment and I think sometimes that can be almost even more challenging than when you're trying to plan your next steps for your career or mm-hmm. a job if I had I had similar I, I trained at guys in St Thomas's and I was really lucky that I had amazing mentors like the best you know edge ambitious that, so then I almost came to the end and it was like it might not have been as you said the speciality that I was like I you know I, I did a quite a, a five-week placement in outpatients and I was like I don't think that's something for me but actually the skills that they use and they do in the assessments you know I was well above what some of my colleagues mm-hmm. had, had an opportunity to do in, in different areas and sometimes that bit of a juggle isn't it trying to work out when I qualified there were very few jobs and there were very few jobs available in the specialities and the places that you wanted them to be there were lots in medicine for the elderly so that was a and those because it was city so Barts was part of city um trust which meant that we were uh, amalgamated with Hackney the Homerton Hospital and the old Hackney Hospital and there were other hospitals in East London so older people's medicine was really in need um to bring it out of very some I suppose quite the dark ages really so they wanted to really zhuzh it up contemporize it um and so there weren't any jobs and I really wanted to be uh, I felt that I wanted to work because I'd done two placements on an acute admissions ward which was interesting because it took everything it took oncology when the renal unit closed we did all the CAPD and we did we took all the parasitic patients during the night we had mental health patients on there I loved it but if you'd have said to me, go to ED, Nancy, I think I did one day as a student. It wasn't for me, which is really strange. Um, and when I qualified, there was a, an inspirational nurse leader who was like a unit nursing manager. And she brought the tra- she'd brought the trauma course to the UK from the States, the Advanced Trauma Life Support for Nursing there was all, and, and the medical one. And I said, look, I went to see her and said, there aren't any jobs I'm about to qualify. And um, I really want to work in your unit, which had trauma orthopedics, ED, acute admissions. And I wanted the acute admissions. So I sat down with them. I mean, it took quite a lot of guts, actually, as a third year. You know, yeah, to go off and say. They were really big hats. Really <laughs> big hats. <laughs> intimidating hats. <laughs> yes, intimidating hats. And she was very tall and very beautiful and, and very inspirational and... And I said, look, you know, Miss Hadfield, I, I haven't, I, I, there isn't a job that I want to do, but I want to work in your unit and these are the areas I've worked and I think that I have got the skills and I do happen to know that somebody will be leaving in the next six months and then a job will come up. So she sat there and she said, do you know what I'd like you to be? I'd like you to be a trauma bank nurse. I said, well, what's that? She said, you're not working on the nurse bank, you're working for me and with me but I'm going to move you as I need you. How do you find that? Oh, so this would be my first job. And I said, I love it. 
I said, I can't wait. She said, well, I'm going to put you in ED first. I think you're going to like it. I remember those words. I think, I think you'll get on all right. And I said, I went back to my flatmates and went, ED? This isn't what I wanted. (laughs) So anyway, I went into ED at Bart's and that's when we used to, it's been um, loads of sort of yuppie MIs happening in the city. And we had a coronary care ambulance that used to go out. And, uh, and I'd like, really like cardiac actually. So it's big on cardiac but they were building Bishopsgate. So there was loads of trauma falling off buildings and things as all around Liverpool Street Station. So I went in there and remember the sister, Elaine Horn, she said, because those are the days where you just went in and shadowed somebody for a shift and then you suddenly got competent. Um, (laughs) I'm not saying that's the right thing. Anyway, started me off in recess. Well, you couldn't get me out of recess. I can tell you now. (laughs) That was you. Recess queen extraordinary. And that was when the bug for emergency and urgent care bit. And then I did end up. So after six months, the job came up on the acute admissions unit. And I did go there. And it was a fantastic grounding because it was so busy. And um, But actually, and I did go and do critical care. And I did do the critical care course. But I ended up being, I would say, 90-10, emergency care, 10% critical care, I suppose. Good to have the good to have the mix <laughs> between uh-huh. the two. I think that's a really good piece of advice that it might take a lot of courage. It might be incredibly intimidating to go up to a to a leader, to a manager, to a to a matron and say, you know, you haven't got any opportunities, but this is what I would like because that had a, a massive impact. That was a, a defining moment, and the reason mm. I mentioned it is that any of your listeners can do that. We mm. have moved on, and this is what I do all the time at my organisation. We've moved on from you know you just get your position here, um, and uh, it doesn't work like that anymore. So you can go and negotiate. Now everybody talks about rotation, and quite often rotations fail because people then get love an area so much they don't move on but you can do 50 50 jobs so this is why it's, it's a real nugget in this place you could go and you could say i would like to do half cardiology and i'd like to do half let's say acute admissions unit just for argument's sake so i'll make it really simple you could do uh, if we did long days so you could week one you might do two long days in cardiology on, on the cardiology ward and one day on the amu next week swap it around a bit it is the most amazing way to get your uh, competencies, your confidence uh, to actually bring and start smoothing and integrating skills and teams across. So all of you have had, you will be part of that. So that is an option. Half ED, half critical care. Oh my goodness. If only someone had offered me that job. So you are in the driving seat and anything is possible. I think that's important to know. And it doesn't matter if you've already got children or children are young. So just, I know you're all listening to me thinking she must be as old as the hills. My youngest is still five. Can I just tell you that? Um, So I had children much later. So actually you've got the ability now to negotiate flexible working. You don't have to start at seven in the morning. Um, You can drop the children off and then come in. You could do 9.30, um, till five thirty, you could do ten till sixes. You live until seven, and you can also say, "Can I do a 50-50? Do it. Have the confidence. I think that is a fantastic piece of advice, um, and and also, yeah, we, we sometimes it can be so rigid, can't it, and so restricted. So this is what the post it says it's full time. It says it's this particular rotor, and actually, 
a lot of people might not be aware the amount of flexibility and the amount of wiggle room that there can be and we're almost limited a bit by our imagination sometimes I guess so you mentioned that you you know you enjoyed working in resus um, and then your career you then moved on to to critical care was that again a natural progression from the the AMU or was that that was it the education side that you thought oh there's a postgraduate course that I would like to no, it was, it was a natural progression, uh, acute admissions unit, um, lots of really, uh, so lots of high um, alcohol and substance misuse, end stage liver failures. Um, we were seeing lots of GI patients who had gastrointestinal hemorrhages. So for me, the really, it was really, so we would now call it uh, acute level one to level two care that we were looking at, looking after in the admissions unit. So therefore, it was a natural progression to want to look after level three patients to me. And when I'd been working in that first six months in ED, when I first qualified and seeing all the trauma and also the cardiac arrest, the MIs, everything that I needed in my head to have those critical care skills and then I knew that I'd be completely rounded to look after trauma or really acutely unwell medical cardiology patients and oncological patients as well so I think that felt a natural progression and actually my career was quite I I always thought I was going to be A&E that was my I loved I was a healthcare assistant during my training in A&E I absolutely loved it and I did my first year in a cardiac HDU and then went to A&E and actually found I loved resus way more than any other area and I was Mm. like actually and that and that's what made me want to go to the trauma intensive care because I was like actually this is my this is where I'm my best this is when I'm delivering you know the care that that I really love um and then was trying to work out what type of intensive care you know is it medical is it surgical what and I thought you know what I've done cardiac I've done I've done surgical um let's yeah let's go to trauma and see and see what I can learn and develop there and and the great thing Laura you're, you're in an educational post and in some ways our careers are quite similar one of the things I noted is that uh, and this is not in any way a pejorative comment that there was a sense of that the critical care nurses really didn't understand the front door stuff so I spent a lot of time when I was lecturing for the BSc for critical care so and the ITU programs and the ED programs um, blending the two so actually when I wrote the curricula for ITU I made sure that things like the trauma the burn some of the really difficult stuff was all aimed at ITU but it was the dirty end too when they weren't mm. packaged and actually with the um, so many years later obviously developing trauma centres in London and teaching on a, a trauma a, a set trauma course with colleagues who were also consultant nurses at City University, we used to make sure that the registrants came from ITU, from theatres, we taught ODPs as well as ED. And as the trauma centre at the Norfolk and Norwich is emerging as the second trauma centre for the East of England, we will do that for all of our practitioners across theatres, what will become the trauma ward, ITU. So everybody has the same advanced trauma life support training. I think that's really important that you come with those blend of skills. Mm, I agree. And also if you've all had, a, you've got that blend and, and looking at ODPs and looking at theatres, they might not be areas where someone would go, you know, as part of, part of that MDT, it might not be, you know, specialties that people are used to working with when we look at 
you know critical care it might be that's just oh we take the patient to theatre and that's it so Mm. that blend will really change that dynamic won't it definitely and you um, have mentioned you know now um you know having worked in education was that again something that you knew that you wanted to do throughout your career do you know I've I've thought about that and I've been asked that many times so I ended up it it, um, so I traveled for two years so I took two years out so for those of you that think it's going to do you any harm um actually no it doesn't I think that enriched me as an individual so I did travel I did all sorts of things I was away for two years I did work I worked in Australia and I worked um in the outback as well as in city hospitals um and ended up um I can't begin to tell you how I ended up doing the job of working for the Royal Flying Doctors, but I did. And I worked in a base hospital uh, in a mining town, 800 kilometres from anywhere, um, and used to look after children quite regularly with alcohol poisoning. And then we used to fly them into Brisbane Children's Hospital. So did all sorts of things. And it made me, actually, did there's some stuff that you think, wow, I, if, I, if you'd have said to me, look back home, do that, I may not have done it. So... Uh, and then I came back and I was set to go and live in Australia. And I only came home to sort of say goodbye to my family and pack up some stuff and go. Um, so I had a job to go to, which was fabulous. Um, and I'm not quite sure how it happened. I was sleeping on a friend's floor at Guys and Tommy's actually doing full time agency to get some money because I was broke. Um, but uh, I ended up just being offered a job at, at St Mary's. Uh, in Paddington in accident emergency and there I stayed for many years until I became uh, a senior sister and also lecturer practitioner um, set up loads of trauma type uh, and education packages while I was in in the department so it sort of happened and I love teaching and my background remember I'm a bioscientist so so those things I found I had a skill in making really difficult complex issues very easy to understand using a lot of analogies visual um cues for people and really practical um making it things seem very practical about well the reason why this happens is because you get that and you need that because of that so just and whether it was medications you know Mm -hmm. pathophysiology pharmacology so i found that people understood when i was teaching Mm. um my I found I've become actually a lot better teacher since teaching the postgraduate intensive care yeah. module because it, it almost feels like I was worried teaching undergraduate or the nursing associates is it too high a level am I pitching this too high and I am I using too much jargon or terminology that people might not understand and I actually found that no using the same techniques that that you would use in that postgraduate level and really trying to increase that terminology and scientific knowledge from a very kind of I don't mean basic level, I mean from a fundamental level and then increasing as you go on as people's levels of understanding that actually improves my teaching style anyway. Me, me too and, and I mean I, I remember and people I've met people since many years later who can remember me teaching them how to interpret blood gases using the analogy mm-hmm. of mop and buckets mm-hmm. you know so it is about finding the the hook that gets mm-hmm. people to understand and break down the concept um, to understand it you know there are some people that have a block don't they on gases or ecg mm. so you need to find that inroad what is the analogy that will help them understand it and also i mentioned i have a phd in humor i use a lot of humor in teaching always have done and i have always used humor throughout my career 
but also as a leader. So I'm going to tell you all a secret. In my first placement, which was, remember, I went at Barnes and I remember I already had a degree and I always got in trouble at school. I was always in trouble and I was always told I'd never be a prefect and I'd never be a head girl. And I was all of those things and house captain. Um, there's a bit of a pattern emerging, I think you're probably sussing. And I was on my first ward and of course I can make everybody laugh. Um, and everybody was really stressed because uh, it was a really difficult ward out, out in the old Hackney Hospital. Um, and uh, I, they'd had a particularly difficult day. I think I was probably about halfway through my first ever placement. And I got taken into this office by, we had something called a pink. So if you trained at parts, you were allowed, only people that trained at parts, you were allowed to wear pink, this big old hat. And you were, the, you were a version of a junior sister, but you could only wear pink if you trained there. And uh, so she said, so here we are, this, this is it. You're all gonna cringe for me now. You can imagine me sitting there as a first warder. Student nurse Fontaine, is nursing a game to you? I am not joking, that was the exact thing. That's the line. Game, what do you mean? You are always making light of everything. You are always making everybody laugh, the team, the patients, and you never take anything seriously. That was, and I thought, oh my God, my mum was right. I am. <laughs> that was on my first wall. And here we are, many years later, I, I lecture all across the country and, and at conferences on the value of humour as a leader, as a teacher, and as a practitioner. And that's what my research was in. Maybe so, you could go back and say, see? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And did you always know that you wanted to that you wanted to do a PhD? Yeah, I know that I did know. I, it was mm. something that I just knew I wanted to do. There were things I wanted to do, which I want to travel the world. I want to go to Australia. I want to climb Kilimanjaro. I want to do. I want to do a PhD. They're just stuff that I knew mm. I was going to do. I want to own a 1965 split screen camper van. So, you know, very specific. So I knew it. And, and I remember uh, going to uh, talk to, so I was late for a session uh, and they was sort of when I first started where I was doing it at the university, University of Essex. And uh, I flew in and my counterparts who are really good friends of mine, they said, oh, they'd been grilled on what their subject was going to be and had what preparation had they done. And I was late for the session, having, I don't know, been held back in recess back in London and having to drive all the way out there. And so I sort of got fired at by the senior supervisor. I said, well, have you even got a, a, a um, an idea for your research? So I then reeled it off and it was all about humour. And I could feel all my friends going, you're flying late <laughs> and then you completely kill it because you've just got this research proposal and you've got your methodology. But I'd been thinking about it for some time because uh, for some years. So I knew that I wanted to study humour as a coping me mechanism. So I just needed to work. But actually, I did fly this by the seat of my pants a bit, I have to say, which is probably my whole life, really. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. It's worked well. <laughs> I tell people the correct term, so this is a good term, it's just called extenuating, okay, so you are, can, you are managing, you can't just say off the cuff or flying by, I am actually um, extemporising, so there we go, do that, Extemporizing. get you okay. through. 
Okay, we've got a new one to add to the <laughs> to add to the terminology list. Um, and have you got any advice for anyone that also wants to study at you know doctorate level, you know, or is interested? Right. So the thing to do. So many of you uh, will already be thinking about masters, or you may be master students, or you may have a masters. I think that it is. You could go on and say, I'm going to thoroughly scrutinise whatever I did at master's level. I didn't do that at all. I did something completely different. My actual advice, that I, and everyone that comes into my office, they all know it's a standing joke, and it has been for, across three chief nurse posts. You go in and you come out with more work, and usually you've signed up to do a doctorate or a PhD. <laughs> uh, and how did that happen? So it's a kind of standing joke. The one nugget that you must stay with forever to do a, a doctoral program you must be totally and utterly driven impassioned enthused and almost obsessed by the subject because you have to live eat and breathe it for many many years and it, and also can i just say something you can stop you can pause you could say you could get i, I took a break for 18 months i thought oh hang on i've lost my way i put it on the shelf for more oh, don't know and then i picked it up again remember so just saying for those of you out there by the time you will get to retire you're probably gonna be 75 because there probably won't be any yeah. welfare state but so literally <laughs> it, it is about your your lives and your careers are not a race and you can step on and off and you can do different things and you can experiment and you can change direction and you can step on and off a, a doctoral program in just the same way you don't have to rush at it you can do it later on as well when actually you may have a, a better more rounded view so don't rush at it but you've got to absolutely live it and breathe it and just to say that uh, you when you do your viva and I loved my viva two hours of being able to talk about my research when everyone else around you gets totally bored but your research supervisor and your assessor are immersed with you so it's the best time ever don't view it as a well as scary but that's that's quite a positive spin yeah very much so recommend everyone should think about it and I think the other there's a fallacy for thinking you have to be clever and you have to be academic you have to have tenacity you have to stick with it you've got to have that it is running a back-to-back marathon because generally you'll be working and studying and it goes on years so you, anyone, I th the, the, the term I use, everyone has a doctoral research programme project in them. Just got to find it. Just got to find it. And, and you're right, that juggle between working, career, life and study um, can sometimes feel very overwhelming, can't it? Um, yes. And then adding on and then adding study and that being the thing that you've chosen as well to kind of to add. And I think that advice is taking a pause if you need it. Mm -hmm. is is really important that i have said that more often than not since covid to many um many uh, of my colleagues around me uh, not just those that work at the Norfolk Norwich because i coach and mentor hundreds hundreds of, of people whether they're aspiring directors or you know career conversations and i think i've noticed that and that's the the advice i give more often than not at the moment people are incredibly fatigued to their very bones and just need time away for themselves and that's okay that is okay to do at any point in your career because actually well-being is is so overused and misunderstood but part of that 
is control your control to be able to take your life choices to give yourself a breather and you can then pick them back up again so that, uh, that's what i think well-being is because if you look after yourself and you feel in control then you are steering the ship you are steering your ship thank you and this series is all about leadership and nurses working in a variety of leadership roles what advice have you got for anyone that that wants to be a leader or is looking at taking more of a leadership role within their current post so this was a bit of story i didn't say to you at the beginning which i held back so in 2005 i'd been a consultant nurse in emergency and urgent care for a long period of time i was um i was teaching registrars i was i was doing all sorts of gps i had a beautiful job i was working nationally on nice guidance um, all sorts of things got so national work clinical work teaching work I mean it was a beautiful job it was a privilege to do that job and um, a the the director of nursing at the time and the clinical director that I reported to said well of course um, your next step we were having a careers discussion your next step obviously is a director of nursing or a chief nurse post it is very clear in my appraisal my words were over my dead body <laughs> that is exactly what I said. Um, and here I am in 2023, having done two chief nurse posts and a deputy chief exec post. I didn't want to be. I didn't recognise that I was a leader. I was already a leader. Um, and But I could never imagine leaving the clinical environment and not being there at least 50% of the time, having an impact on patients, but also those around me and teaching. Um, uh, I would say that it is everything I've talked about, everything being a marathon, but this is learning to be a leader takes years. And I am really clear. I make mistakes every day. Um, and you're thinking, oh, she can't be very good. But actually, I'm I'm very aware of where what my vulnerabilities are, what I need to do differently. And that carries on through your whole career. And as long as you recognise that, and that you have a mentor that, and you may have several mentors around you, you use them for different things, a coach, and you can step on and, at, um, on and off coaching, you, you, but it is good to have a coach. So I have a coach, but I also am a qualified coach. Um, and I think that you gradually learn that actually being a leader is an extension of being a kind, empathic, reasonable person there is nothing fancy there are all these leadership programs but you stay true to your values about right and wrong about giving everybody a a real sense of a second chance how how they realize their strengths so being a leader is about investing in others and actually what you are doing as a leader is you are creating the workforce for the future. So you see the strengths in people that they don't see, and then you help them develop and you give them the opportunities and you make them actually consider, these are the things I am good at and I didn't even know. And these are the things I could do better and do more of. Just in the same way, those inspirational leaders, like the person that, the senior nursing officer that gave me my first job as the uh, trauma bank nurse or I think you'll be a good ED. I think nurse, I think you'll like it. So 
I think also seeking out those people that can help you unpack your talents and gifts because everybody has talents and gifts. Really fantastic piece of advice. And you mentioned there that you're a qualified coach. Was that, again, a qualification that you sought out because of the role you were doing and wanted to improve upon? No, I just found out it happened serendipitous, really, but serendipitously, really, because people kept coming to me for advice, <laughs> whether it was educational advice and guidance, uh, clinical advice and guidance, and then careers advice and guidance. And I felt I had uh, for many, many years, I had imposter syndrome because I was thinking, I'm sure I meant to have a certificate to do this. Um, and so I think that's what led me to it. And, and as I became a director, so a director of nursing and, and an executive director, um, that you then start to work in the sphere of outside your organisation, but you might work regionally and you might work nationally. And therefore you're having contact with people externally who may not be nursing. They may be aspiring directors or managers or leaders. They may be aspiring uh, consultant practitioners um, or advanced clinical practitioners they might be educationalists um, but all all have their merit and, and all need support and help and actually the skills that they need are all the same regardless of what they do and so I felt then actually there was there is a real need for formal coaching um, in the NHS so that that's why I feel and, and because I think the other thing, there is still the echoes in the NHS of a culpability culture. And I am absolutely an apostle and speak very, very clearly that we all make mistakes. And actually, we must be helped to get back on the horse and get back in. And having 750 registrants with interim conditions of practice at the NMC is doing nobody any any favours and not helping them. Actually, the role of all, certainly chief nurses, and we as chief nurses are responsible for nursing midwifery, 14 allied health professions, pharmacy and healthcare scientists in laboratories and the care staff. It is incumbent on us to get people into educational programmes, have support around them, recognizing everyone makes mistakes there isn't a person listening here that won't have or, or won't and will in the future if they haven't already make a drug error mm. i've made a drug error made many drug errors and um, so you know but the important point is you own it you report it and you can say okay so let's just unpack what did i do was it a human factor here was i being so i have everybody talking to me about different things was the phone ringing uh, didn't i check it because i was i didn't have enough staff on the shift and then we worked through it okay so that's the important thing and that's what drives me every single day to make as a leader to get the best out of people to be the best they can be so we deliver the best possible care to patients that's it just and have you got any advice for any student nurses at the moment? It's tough, but stick with it. Because as I said to uh, international nurses that uh, arrived a short time ago, as well as our first post qualified, and I would say this, and I say this to all our students when I'm, I'm, I'm about, if you can survive an, a broken NHS, you can survive anything. And it is like being in the battle and in the war, but the way we, we got through in the first war, the Great War, the Second War, is we're all, it's about having team, to help the team to thrive, to actually support each other, to notice when colleagues 
aren't firing on all cylinders and inquiring why. So noticing from an empathic perspective is really important. You don't, you continue to use your integrity and that means when something isn't right, you raise it and you raise it loud and proud because we can't change anything as leaders unless we know about it. And then there should now be in all organizations, the focus on a just learning, restorative and sharing culture. That is the key to healing the NHS. And every student out there and first post-qualifieds, that is what I need help with. We need to really have a just culture, restorative one that learns and then we share it. We share it among ourselves, we share it among systems, and that will be the art to improvement and the key to improvement. And you've had you know a very diverse career with um with a lot of different job roles and development and and you've done a lot of educational um you know formal educational training in, in a variety of different specialities what do you see the rest of your career looking like what are your aims for the future big question um can i just say being a chief nurse is a privilege and i feel that I have a, a, a very, very deep rooted duty to really lead my profession, first and foremost, and the professions I'm responsible for, but also the NHS that I work within. And, and I love my job. Can I just say, I absolutely love my job. And people ask me this question, oh, you, you, you know, leaders always move on. And, you know, and I've got a special niche in improvement. I've worked in um, very damaged organizations that need a lot of support to improve which drives me dry I love it I like it the more difficult it is the more I love it and I'm really happy in my role as a chief nurse um, I get to do so much um, and make a difference nationally and professionally I know that I could be a chief exec if I want to be but I'm not ready to, to stop nursing because that would be and I can do it. I've been a deputy chief executive. And I think there will always be whatever I do, whether I and, and I have no reason I want to move regionally or nationally. But if it means that I can influence our professions and influence quality improvement, research and advanced clinical practice for the better for all of our professions, for the best for the patients, then I could do it. So I think, as I went, alluded to earlier, all of us have got lifelong careers. It's just this travelator, and there's so much we can do, and it's all about improvement. And it's so nice. I think sometimes we can, with jobs, we can sometimes see the negative side, or you know, oh, this job was better, or we do a bit of comparison, or we look at what everyone else is doing. But it's really refreshing mm -hmm. to hear that I love my job, that I love what I'm doing, and I and I love the opportunities it gives me. So yeah. really good perspective. Um, thank you so much for joining me today and recording this episode and talking through your career. You've given some amazing advice, advice for me and the listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me today. And for everyone out there, just keep at it. And at some point, I will want to hand my badge over to somebody. So, you know, come and have a chat. Take care. <laughs> thank you.